0: All right, the book of Jeremiah, chapter 2. Jeremiah, chapter 2. Now, the goal, obviously, as we work through the book of Jeremiah, I'm trying to do a couple of things a little different. One, I'm not... Each message, I'm trying to be almost a standalone message in and of itself. So we're not really going back to review what came before... And then when we go to the next message, we won't review the previous message. So I'm trying to get away from that. I'm trying to make each message kind of a standalone. So it needs to have a clear start, middle and end because we can't just immediately just carry it over to the next hour. So I'm trying to make some of these changes is making how to uh, approach a chapter like Jeremiah chapter two very difficult because if you'll look at Jeremiah chapter two, how many verses are there? okay 37 right okay so obviously the way i would typically do things in the past is we would just start and wherever we wanted to stop we would just stop and then the very next hour we would just pick up right there and then use the first part of the out the next hour to try to review what we just did because the second hour is different people than the first hour and then sunday night's different than sunday morning and then so, it, so the, obviously that cre- creates a lots of problem where you have to do so much review, 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 review. So, um, what? So my goal here is to try to do something in this hour, and then the next hour act like this hour never occurred. The only problem is that puts us. That's going to be very difficult, right? Because the next hour, let's say we're in verse four. Let's say we're on verse without, you know, I have to just kind of briefly acknowledge, it's going to be very difficult. So I uh, just be patient as I try to figure out exactly how to do this, because, um, it's not, it's, it's not, it's not going to be easy, but, um, I obviously don't, I mean, I don't want to abandon, you know, trying, trying to, to do it this way. I don't want to abandon the study, obviously. So um, I, how, to, how to manage it is going to be iffy, but I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to figure out a way that will be beneficial to everyone who listens online, to people who are present in each service, and hopefully we can get something from Jeremiah. Now the goal for the study of Jeremiah for this summer, uh, because we're spending three months in Jeremiah and then. Lamentations is supposed to come into play there somewhere at the end but obviously primarily three months on the book of jeremiah i've tried to make the emphasis here not so much on i mean obviously we will not ignore the what we will call the academic understanding of jeremiah we're not going to ignore that obviously and for every book of the bible you have to learn what it says who it's saying it to we have to try to interpret it obviously we're not going to downplay that but I'm really trying to put the emphasis on, you know, getting spiritual growth from this spiritual, helping ourselves spiritually from this. So how to again, trying to balance that out is very difficult because you open up the book of Jeremiah and not only we realize there's already one major problem in Jeremiah. Right. And that is it's not in chronological order. Right? So just right there, trying to figure out it's not in chronological order. If you don't if you're not aware of this, there's another major issue with Jeremiah, and that is and theoretically, there's two different Jeremiahs. There's the Jeremiah of the Masoretic text, and there's the Jeremiah of the Septuagint. The Masoretic is longer than the Septuagint, and the Septuagint has got in many cases, its translation of some verses are like it's not the same. It's completely different. So then, which one do you use? And then there's an argument that not only is there the Masoretic and the Septuagint, that there are two Hebrew manuscripts that the Septuagint borrowed from that may be different than the Masoretic. So then you're like, well, which one is which? And like, and then wait a minute, in the New Testament, do they quote from the Septuagint? Do they quote from the Masoretic? If they quote from the Septuagint, then is the Septuagint the one we should go with? And then how come all of our Bibles are using the Masoretic and not the Septuagint? Like, those are some like major No, not necessarily, right so, so yeah there are all kinds of, all kinds of issues there. So in other words, for each week you can, you can pursue those things and those things need to be pursued, but you can also see pursuing those things could lead to what? just a complete. Not getting anything from the book from a spiritual perspective. Does that make sense? Like you, we could just be spending years trying to, and and who knows if we could even come to any definitive conclusion. Now everyone thinks they're right. Everyone will be like, no, it's the Septuagint. The Masoretic is a conspiracy, and others will be like, no, the Masoretic, the Septuagint is wrong. And then, and then it just, uh, it just, it, it's maddening. So what we're trying to do is get something beneficial from it. Now typically in, a, in books like this, um, because how many chapters are in the book of Jeremiah? Uh, I can all look. 52 chapters, right? Okay. When usually uh, a book this large, sometimes it would be argued that uh, an outline would be very beneficial. And if you'll notice... Well, how we started, we did, uh, I did kind of a biographical, then we kind of did a book overview, then we worked on chapter one. Somewhere in there, I was going to offer kind of a detailed outline of the book, right? And 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 I realized, well, one, to try to give a detailed outline of over 50 chapters would be a very tedious and long, probably two hours of teaching. So I decided not to do that. Then I thought, well, we'll build an outline as we proceed through. But you can already tell what would be some of the problems in outlining the book. And problems of outlining the book is it's not in chronological order. So that creates a problem. So just briefly, before we really dig into this, and I know I'm already hurting myself because I'm taking too much time here, but that's okay. Um, When it comes to outlining a book, this is just kind of like a hermeneutical little lesson here. When it comes to outlining a book of the Bible, what are the positives from outlining? Right? What, what are the positives that comes from outlining a book? Well, the, the first thing, well, the positive of outlining is, your, if, if you should be, in theory, is you should be, it's, it's an observational tool, right? The, the goal of an outline is, is to get you to observe the text, right? To see, to see, to see, to see. Because to out to sit there and try to outline it requires what? Hours of work. Right? You don't have to understand it. You just got to see it, right? You don't have to understand it. You just got to see what's there. You may you may have no clue what it means, right? But you're, so the benefit of outlining is it tries to help you with your observational skills so that you see more and see more and see more and see more right that's that's one of the positives of it one of the negatives of outlining is sometimes what we have a tendency to do is that we move our uh, outline from an observational tool to an interpretive not even a tool almost an interpretive template for how now you're going to interpret the book like because sometimes if you outline a book a certain way that's going to greatly influence what how you interpret it how you interpret so you impose that outline upon it and most cases where do outlines typically come when a pastor gives an outline of a book where do you think his outline came from Uh, okay well typically it comes from some other source right and typically they don't tell you the source do they typically they don't tell you the source and in many cases, what do they and, what, and this is why people in the pew never catch on. Sometimes they don't realize that the outline given to them was actually an interpretive template. Right? Because if I say, this chapter, these two chapters are this, and these two chapters are this," correct? And it's not simply an observation of what's in the text, but it offers some kind of interpretation then guess what the pastor has just done? He's told you, here's what's in the chapter. Now, when we look at the chapter magically, what are we going to find? We're going to find it. That's manipulative, right? And and church members fall for that trash all the time. I don't know why people do that. Because you should stop and go, wait, 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 wait. Your outline is interpretive. It's not observational. So I'm going to ignore your outline because I've got to see what's in the text. Because that what's in the text determines the outline, and it should only be observational. Well, when I was thinking about Jeremiah, like, what do we do, what do we do, what do we do? I thought, well, maybe we'll build it as we go along. And then I started realizing it's almost impossible to do this in any meaningful way because the chapters, like, because what, typically in an outline, especially for a book that big, what do you have to typically do? You got to group chapters together, right? Well, how can you group chapters together if there's a possibility they're not even in chronological order, right? So then, then do you break it down like, like every chapter is its own? Like it can get very convoluted, right? It can get very convoluted. So, for example, one outline that I was looking at, obviously, chapter one, the call. Of the prophet. Well, we got no problem saying Jeremiah is called in Jeremiah chapter 1, right? Right. We are all good with that. But they try to offer, because they are aware of the kind of the time stamp issues and the chronological issues, this is how they worded it. The call of the prophet during the reign of Josiah. Well, we don't have a major problem with that. Why? Because it says in the 13th year year of Josiah. So we're okay with that. But then look what they do in the next section. They go from chapter 2 to chapter 20. They group all of those books, all those chapters together. And then guess what they call it? Prophecies to Judah and Jerusalem prior to Zedekiah's reign. Well, that first that gives some, some specific time stamps, but there may be some things in here that would cause a problem with that. Not only that, There seems to be some words directed to the Northern Kingdom within that section. So then that would not necessarily work either. So we immediately possibly have some some possible issues. It may work. But so what we're going to do, I think, is this. This is going to be my approach. I'm going to try, and I typically would not do this. I'm going to avoid so much the outlining of the book. I got no problem with outlining chapters, right? Right. I tried, to give, I tried to get everyone to outline chapter one. I didn't really, I kept throwing out all kinds of different ideas and how to do it, but I kind of give some basic structure. I'm going to throw out basic structures at times for each individual chapter, more so than trying to say, because I think in some cases, one chapter may not necessarily be that connected to the next chapter as far as time is concerned, right? So, and not only that, guess what? The argument is that the structure in the Septuagint is different than the structure in the Masoretic. Well, then that, that, like, how far do we want to go down that? You know, I'm saying we can chase that rabbit, and we're going to be like, what do we do? Hey, in this chapter, but the Septuagint, wait, this, like, we it would it would be maddening. So we're going to approach each chapter as kind of its own standalone thing. And see if that works. It, look, we may get 10 chapters into this, and I'm like, we made a horrible mistake, and I'm gonna blame all of you. Right? But I this is the way we're going to approach it. So does that work? All right. So for this morning, for the first hour, Jeremiah chapter two. Our goal today is three hours in Jeremiah chapter two. That's the goal today. All right? And so hopefully we we can uh we can accomplish something, at least today, to try to see if we can understand Jeremiah 2. And I want to start our approach to Jeremiah, not with necessarily reading the text, but I want to ask a a bunch of questions, all right? So here's how I want to frame the first hour. Do you think that there are phases of the Christian life? As an individual, do you think there are different phases of the Christian life? That anyone who's a Christian, their, their 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 Christian life goes through these different phases, right? Here's here's like and, and how many would you would you say there are four five phases? Well, do you think so? Now I think we can typically say most of us would agree that in every individual life there are certain phases of life, right? Yes, okay. I think we would agree with that, and there are certain characteristics of those phases, right? There's being a toddler, then there's, you know, then there's being a, a young adult, and then there's being maybe a high school student, then, you know, what, what, however you want to classify them. And there's certain characteristics to those periods of life. Is that true of the Christian life? Now, obviously, there's always exceptions to the rule, but I think maybe there's kind of a general pattern of, of, of phases in the Christian life, and so, if so, what are they? I really want everyone to, to think about that. Um, and then I, I, I posted another, or I, I put forth another question. Looking back over your own Christian life, how would you outline the phases of your Christian life? If you were to look over your Christian life, and I would say break your Christian life down into five phases, what would those phases be? If you can't put five, could you put three? Well, and up the Right. I, th- I think we all can agree. Now, now, it all depends. A lot of the phases really depend on when you become a Christian, right? Okay. If you become a Christian younger, I don't know I don't know if you're raised in a Christian home and become a Christian at a young I don't know what that phase is called cuz I don't understand. I don't understand Christianity in the context of a Christian home. It, I don't understand it because because so much of it is so uncertain, right? Did the kid become a Christian because of conversion or did he become a Christian because well he's raised in a Christian home? Right? That that I don't I don't like to me that phase is one of great uncertainty. Like, is there, do they believe in Jesus or do they believe in mom and dad? There's a big difference between believing in Jesus and believing in mom and dad. Because every little kid believes in mom and dad. Whatever mom and dad says must be right. So if you tell them about Jesus, it's the right answer, right? So I don't know what you call that. Is that even a phase? I don't know what in the world that is. Okay, but for anyone else who becomes saved, wasn't raised in a Christian home, and becomes saved at some later point in life, that usually that first phase is one of what? Zeal, Zeal excitement, like, I mean, a, a lot of passion. Maybe like, yeah, well, I'm going to change the world. I'm going to rush hell with a water gun. Like I, that, like, I mean, that that's a very exciting period of time. Now, someone saved in a Christian home, I don't know what that's like. But if you're not raised in a Christian home, and all, I mean, everything is brand new, right? Someone reads Genesis 1-1, and you're like, whoa, wait, what happened? Like, what just happened? Wait, wait, who? wait, wait, why did Cain kill Abel? Like, you're just like, you're like, what is going on here? And someone raised in a Christian home, they're like, yeah, well, yeah, Cain and Abel, yeah, whatever. And so it's a completely radically different experience. But the point is, everyone, I think, goes through these phases, just they're different phases for each individual, so it's almost I think imperative for every Christian to constantly try to figure out which phase they're currently in and what would they how how would they classify it. But you know if you were to and I, I would challenge everyone to just write a little outline of your Christian life and classify the phases of it and where are you in now. And here's here's another question: Do you think every Christian goes through phases, which I believe they do? But here's the really important question. What impacts those phases? What's the the thing that impacts? Because whatever you classify the phase is, obviously you go from that phase to a a separate phase, right? Well, what impacted, what changed? What caused the change? Well, in a roundabout way, I think Jeremiah 2, God kind of talks about the phases, or at least in part, of, well, Israel's relationship with him. And the, 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 there's something that changed their faces. okay? Well, we'll see how this plays itself out. So everybody ready? Okay, let's go to Jeremiah chapter 2. We'll start in verse 1. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 1. Everybody here? There? Here? Where? There? Oh, are we ready? Okay, here we go. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 1. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, now stop right here. I want you to really, 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 really consider, and if you're going to read the book of Jeremiah this summer, uh, as you're reading it, I want you to just take note of how many times it is emphasized that it's the word of the Lord. For example, just a one study Bible stated it this way. One hundred and fifty-seven times in the book of Jeremiah alone, the phrase Jeremiah says, saith the Lord. And if you take that phrase and then you add the other phrase that clearly indicates it's God's word, who knows the total number? But even right here, what do we have? Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Verse 2, does he emphasize it's God's word? Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord. Right? So immediately we know that over and over and over. And then look at verse 3, the end of verse 3. Saith the Lord. And three verses, like three times, what's emphasized? It's God's word. 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 Do we have we have some of the same things in chapter 1, right? Look at chapter 1. How many how many times do we see it somehow emphasize it's God speaking? Just just briefly go through chapter 1 quickly just to see this point. How many times in chapter 1? Where's the first one? Verse 2, to whom the word of the Lord came. Everybody see that in verse 2? Okay, and then verse 4. Then the the word of the Lord came unto me, saying. Verse uh, 7. Yeah, but the Lord said unto me. Verse 7, verse 8. Verse 8, saith the Lord. Verse 9. Yeah, I mean it's over and over. I mean, if you count, if you count how many times, I mean, I'm telling you, 157 is supposedly just the phrase "saith the Lord." Just that phrase. If you count them all, it's probably. I don't. I think it would be probably fair to say well over 200 times. Easy that this is emphasized over and 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 over. Now. Why, why do you, one, why do you think it's emphasized so much? Okay. Okay. How did, what did you say, Stephen? Okay. All right. So is it a reassurance, Is it a reassurance to them? Uh, that it's from God. Is it a reassurance to Jeremiah? Is it a reassurance to us? There's a lot of different ways of looking at it. I think what's important is this, is that over and over and over, it's emphasized, it's God's word, it's God's word, it's God's message, it's God's message, it's God's message. But in the end, how is it received? It's not. Meaning that truth may be spoken, and, but you, in other words, you cannot judge. The truth of something based on its acceptance or rejection. To me, that is more important. That to me is what stands out. Because you could look, I mean, come on. If if we were watching Jeremiah's ministry, what could some people say? Well, obviously, God's not blessing your ministry. Obviously, you're not, Obviously, something's wrong there. Obviously, there must be... They, what, would, what would be the standard ways of accusing? One, they would attack. Something must be wrong in Jeremiah's life, right? Two, there must be something wrong with his message. Or three, there must be something wrong with the way in which he delivers it. One way or the other, there would be an attack. Even though Christians say, no, 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 no. We're not all about numbers. No, no, no. We understand. Well, immediately when something is small, it is immediately attacked or rejected. And I just want you to know, we've already talked about Jeremiah. His message is going to be utterly rejected. But yet over and over and over, what are we told? The word of the Lord, it's the word of the Lord, it's the word of the Lord, all right? So, I just want you to see in chapter 2, verse 1, I, what I just wrote down is God's word. I just wrote down chapter 2, verse 1, number 1 in my outline, I just put God's word. But you can outline it any way you want, all right? Number 2, go, uh, look at verse 2. Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying... All right, the first thing I wrote down was God's word. The second thing I wrote down is the recipients. Who is the recipients of this message? Jerusalem, what is the significance of that? It's the capital of the southern kingdom. So clearly this is a message to Judah. This is a message to the southern kingdom. All right? That's very important. Everybody see that? All right, now, starting in verse 2 and going to verse 3, The message from God is God wants Jeremiah and wants the people to know what he remembers. God is going to tell them what he remembers. And and why do I say that? Verse 2, go and cry in the eyes of Jerusalem saying, Thus saith the Lord, I remember thee. I remember thee. Who's doing the remembering? God, go tell the people that God says what? I remember thee. All right, so what we're going to do for at least this first hour is we're just going to mainly focus on what God remembers, but I want you to put it back in that context about phases of the Christian life. The, kindness of the, youth. the All right. Okay, yeah, right. So, but again, I, I want you to see I want you to see how this connects to this concept of phases in the Christian life, right? Because God, in this case, is going to look back and remember basically some phases Israel went through, right? And so let's go through this. What's the first thing that God remembers? Okay, everyone's jumping to the youth part. Is there not something before that? Okay, kindness is in the King James. What's in the NIV? The devotion. In the Christian Standard Bible, it is... um, Hang on. I remember the loyalty of your youth. So we have loyalty, we have devotion, we have kindness. I wrote down... So, number one in my outline, God's word. Number two, the recipients. Number three, what God remembers. And the first thing he remembers, he remembers their kindness... But obviously we need to figure out exactly how we should understand this kindness, right? Okay, so is it kindness? Is it loyalty? Is it devotion? So we know what we need to do. So everyone go do it. We got to look it up. We got to look it up, all right? So I'm going to go to Jeremiah chapter 2, Blue Letter Bible app. Here we go, Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 2. Right. All right, kindness, I ha- it's this Hebrew word, it's this Hebrew word. Strong's age, 2617, chesed, chesed. Chesed, all right, it's 248 times, it's translated mercy, 149, kindness, Loving kindness, goodness, kindly, merciful, favor, good, goodliness, pity, reproach, wicked thing. Kindness by implication towards God. Everybody see that? Piety, uh, rarely by opposition, reproof, subjectively, beauty, favor, good, deed, uh, uh, kindly, loving, kindness, merciful, kindness, mercy, pity, reproach, okay, uh, the outline of biblical usage is basically two goodness, kindness, faithfulness, or a reproach and a shame. I don't think he's not saying a reproach and a shame. Can we all agree that that's not the part that's being used here? He's talking about goodness, kindness, or faithfulness. All right? So when he remembers their, I mean, if we go with the word kindness, right, we, we could say their faithfulness, maybe. Maybe there are loyalty, but if we say kindness, if we go with that kind of idea, what do we? How do we usually understand the word kindness? If we go with that, I mean, they, the definitions here use the word kindness a lot, I and mean, in fact, mercy is used more than anything else, which is interesting. But how do we understand the word kindness? Do, what? do what? To treat well. Okay. I mean, just look it up. Look up the word kindness real quick in an English dictionary. Just let's see. Let's just see how we would understand kindness. All right. We have goodness there. We have a lot of, a lot of words used to describe it. But we want to, try to, we want to kind of grab on to something here that we have something tangible to, to grab onto. Okay, a quality of being friendly. Generous or considerate. So, it's almost like, hey, I remember... Now, rem- now. okay, let's, oh, let's, let's be very careful here. We've got to be very careful. Many times in the Old Testament, when God describes himself or describes his relationship with people, he does so using what kind of technique or what kind of idea? The way he describes himself or his relationship with others. He describes it in a way that's very human, right? Right? Everybody remember that? Okay. And anthropomorphism, right? Okay. So, and and the reason he does this is because we can't really relate. I mean, like, trying to understand God is almost beyond our comprehension, right? Because in one way... If we look at it from a purely theological perspective, it's very hard to have how do we relate to God because our God already knows everything we're going to do. He's all powerful. But God yet will describe the relationship in very human terms so we understand it, right? Because it's a really weird way to say, hey, I remember when you used to be nice to me. Hey, I remember when you used to show kindness to me. Because in some ways it's like, that seems like, that almost makes God seem weak, right? But he's speaking of it in a very human way. Hey, I remember when you were considerate of me. I remember when you were kind to me. I remember when you were thoughtful of me. I, I, I remember, like we can just say it in the most human way, I remember when you were nice to me. Now, to me, this begins to describe a phase of the early, the early phase of one's Christian life or one's early relationship with God. Because in that early relationship with God, how did you act? A love? I mean, again, depend, again, I, I cannot speak for those raised in a Christian home. I don't know what that's like. I don't know what those, I don't think people raised in a Christian home ever experience this in any meaningful way. Maybe I'm wrong. But... If you were not raised in a Christian home, and then you get saved a little later in life, and you realize how messed up you are, that early stage you're just overwhelmed with gratitude. gratitude, and and all you care about is I want to please God, right? I like you want to show kindness and gratitude to God. You're you're like more worried about not what God can do for you, but what we can do for God. Took me a not not uh, not, not to quote a, a president, but you get the idea, right? Okay, the focus is that we, we want to be kind to God, and he remembers that. He wants them to know, I remember how you used to be kind to me, right? But he connects the kindness to what? Of thy youth, Right? Well, not at this time yet. He goes, I remember the loyalty of your youth. I remember the loyalty of your youth. Now, we could always go back like to wh- how far back is he going? Right? Is he going back to Abraham? Is he going back to Jacob? Like, we know that there's clearly plenty of things that they did wrong, but clearly there was there was at least a period May, I, we, who knows externally what it looks like but at least internally i think god can remember i remember the kindness of your youth that early stage that early phase of our relationship i think he's given a little a definition of the time he says talks about and followed me through the right so it can be when they first came out Right, when But we know, and we know humanly, we know from a uh, like a time stamp that it, from our perspective, it doesn't last long, but God is at least saying that there was something, maybe it was internally, because just remember, someone's external actions does not always demonstrate what's going on internally.? I mean, it's always weird, right? Sometimes people can appear righteous, but internally they're a mess. right? Pharisees. Sometimes someone externally can look messed up outwardly, but internally, they really do have a heart for God. Like, I know that's confusing to people because at the same time we preach, what you, do, what you are internally will determine what you are externally. So it's like a weird, like it doesn't always work so simple, right? It doesn't always work so simple because the Pharisees was, a, was perfect outside, but well, a mess inside, right? Now, sooner or later, it reveals itself. But yeah, that's a, that's a whole... But I just want you to see, he remembers. So what's the first thing he remembers? Their kindness, right? Now, that kindness is connected with their youth, but I just, I focused on the kindness not the youth part. But the youth part does show early on in their relationship, right? What's the second? The next is their, the love. The love, now, the King James says the love of their what? Espousals. Uh, another translation says your love as a bride. How does the NIV translate it? As a bride. So now he's kind of putting it like in really, hey, remember how you were so nice to me when you were young? And then you go from that young stage to what? The married stage. Do you remember your kindness? Do you When re- not, not, He's not saying do you remember. I remember your kindness when you were young and then I remember your love as a bride. Like the honeymoon stage. So there's the young stage, the young phase, and then we'll call it the honeymoon phase. I remember that love you had for me. Okay, then, and then what does it say? When thou wentest after me in the wilderness and a land that was not sown. Now, the idea almost is it's kind of maybe a little play on words, but you can kind of get the picture, you can get the image, right? What, when a person gets married, what do they do? Well, I mean, using that language here, they're going to follow after, right? Right? If, if you get married and, and the person's like, okay, I'm going to move here because I'm going to get this job. If the other person's like, well, see you later. What do you mean see you later? I'm not going with you. But we're married. Well, <laughs> you're not worth that much. I'm staying right where I am. Okay. That would probably that would be a bad situation. Can we agree? Okay, yeah. So in this case, he's using that very kind of language. Remember when you were young? Or again, I keep stating it that way. He's saying, I remember when you were young. You were nice to me. I remember when you loved me like a new bride and you followed after me. What's next? So we got. So what does God remember? Their kindness, their love. I, what I did is added a, a third one there. I, I added, when thou wentest after me in the wilderness, I put their following. They followed him. I added that as a third. I know you could group it together with their love, but I just wanted to really break it down. God remembers their kindness. He remembers their love, and he remembers their following after him. Right. What's next? Yes, Israel was holiness to the Lord. Holiness to the Lord. What do you think that talks about? Okay, okay, all right, do all, all translations use holiness there? Okay, uh, the, this Bible says, all right, um, if I can find it, Israel was holy to the Lord. Now, obviously, we got to be careful exactly how we, we because again, this can, we got to figure out exactly, I don't want to get too much into this, but it can be sometimes confusing. But this is, just let's remember, this is always a confusing part when you deal with the Bible, because there's times God would, remember sometimes when he would speak of David, or he would speak of another king, they did not follow me like David followed me. You're like, whoa, David followed you? David was obedient and obeyed all of my commands. Did David obey all of God's commands? No, it's like sometimes God speaks of people and he looks at them from which perspective? From the positional perspective, not the practical perspective. Because there's a part of me that wants to say, hey God, when did you remember Israel ever being holy to you? Because I think all I remember is... Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, come on, like... (laughs) Yeah, like, I mean, I, all I remember is a whole lot of sinning, a whole lot of failure, a whole lot of rebellion. So I don't know if he's just saying this in like a very general way. Like, hey, there was a brief time. It lasted 13 seconds. You know, once I delivered you from Egypt, you were like, we're going to follow God. And then we're like, wait, where's our food? Okay, like it, there was about a five-minute, you know, we, you got in the backseat of the car and you made it five minutes out of town before you started complaining, right? Like, I, But, hey, those five minutes were really good. Okay, I I don't know. I think but he's trying to remind them, hey, there was a time in your Christian life, or well, for them, there was a time in our relationship where you were kind, loving, and holy to some level, right? I think that's a very... Right, so I think, I think it's just in a... He's just saying it in kind of a, a... There was a time there, remember, when you basically were pursuing me. You were after me, right? And then what does he say next? The first fruits of his increase. Everybody see that? All right, now, the Bible study guide states it this way. The fact that Israel was God's first fruits... Implies first that they had been dedicated to him, and second, that there would be more fruit to follow with the expectation of a future greater harvest that would come from among the nations. Now, well, they're not, I don't know if they're reading a lot into it. They're going with the concept of first fruits. That's what first fruits always indicates, right? Right? That the first fruit is always what? Dedicated to God. And then second, there's always the idea that more is to come. Why do you give the first fruits to God with the expectation that God is going to bless it? So I think what they're saying is when He refers to them as His first fruits, it's like you were dedicated to Me because remember He's speaking in human terms. But God I always remember this because it seems so confusing. You're like, wait a minute, God, you knew what kind of trash you had chosen, right? Didn't you know, right? But it's always spoken in a very human way hey, guys, I remember when you were nice to me. I remember when you were in love with me. I remember when you followed after me. I remember when there was a level of holiness in you. And I saw you as my first fruits because you were dedicated to me and the expectation was what? There would be more of this coming from you. You were my first fruits. There would be more of this. There would be, this, would, this would lead to more of this. And well, that's what he remembers. That's what he remembers, yes. And then he goes on to say what? All that devour him shall offend. Uh, all that devour him shall offend. Evil shall come upon them, saith the Lord. What's that last phrase about? He remembers his protection of them, right? His protection was anyone who did what to Israel, what would happen to them? If they blessed Israel, they'd be blessed. And if they cursed Israel, they'd be cursed. Remember, that was kind of a general concept throughout a good portion of the Bible, yes? All right? So God, remind, re, in a sense, the reminder, if God is telling them what he remembers... would it it be fair to say he's reminding them of this? Do you think that's a fair way of saying it? Yes, because God's not reminding himself, right? God is remembering this, but he wants them to know what he remembers. And if he wants them to know what he remembers, then I think that it's a clear case that he wants the people to be remembered. In a roundabout way, hey, Uh, Jeremiah, go tell the people in Jerusalem that God remembers this about them. To remind them of what? Their prior relationship to him. And what he wants to remind them is, do you remember way back how you were kind to me? Right? Or, Or, I'm sorry, do you remember when you were kind to me because I remember when you were kind to me. Do you remember when you were in love with me because I remember when you were in love with me? Do you remember when you followed after me because I remembered when you followed after me? Do you remember your holiness because I remember it? Do you remember I used to see you as my first fruits? Now, they can look around and go, well, we haven't really produced much since then, right? Right? Okay and do you remember my protection of you because i remember my protection of you that that really p- puts it together so i guess the round, i guess the real question then for us in a practical way is what do you remember about your attitude towards God in the past versus where you are today that's really kind of the message here right he go go to Jerusalem and and tell them what I remember now he he's not telling them to remember because he needs to remember he wants them to remember he wants them to stop and do what what phase are we in now because clearly, what phase are they not in now? Are they in, the, uh, are they in the phase of being kind to God? Clearly the implication is going to be they're not, right? The second is, they're not well, they're in the loves phase. They're not in the following after. They're not in the holy. They're clearly, if they're first fruit, something has clearly gone wrong. And I will argue they're not even in the protection phase because it's getting ready. Chapter 2 is going to demonstrate they're not. And to just show you that clearly, this, this reminder is because something has changed. Look what happens in verse 4. How does verse 4 begin? Hear the word Lord. This is a separate word, right? What, in the previous section? So, hey, go and remind them. All right, so, hey, you've got the reminders, guys? It's almost like this. I'm not saying this is a perfect example of how it played out, but it's like, hey, guys, I want... God sent me to, to let you know what he remembers about your relationship. He gives them the reminder, and then it's almost like he just turns around and leaves, right? This is the way it's at least written. And then what happens? Hear ye the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Now, in and, and some ways, the recipients change a little bit here, right? It's like a different scene. Who was the, orig- the recipients to the reminder part? Jerusalem. Now who is, who's this word to? Yeah, this is to the north and the south. To the north and the south, which is somewhat interesting. And, and we could say, what, what, what is the world, why is he going on here, right? Okay, now, what does he do here? We're not going to be able to get too far into this, but look what happens here. Thus saith the Lord, there's that phrase again, what iniquity have your fathers found in me that they are gone far from me and have walked after vanity and are become vain? He begins to ask a question, and what is the question? What iniquity have your fathers found in me? What changed? I remember how you used to treat me. What has changed? Now, let me make it very clear. Nobody's in agreement on how to interpret this question. Nobody uh, agrees on how to. There are three basic ways that people think you should interpret this question. But we'll have to wait till the next hour to try to see, see how this is going to work. See, the, I'm already running myself into trouble, am I not? Because how am I going to begin the next hour with the question? But I'm just going to have to begin the next hour with the question, all right? But the question, I just, there are three different ways that people understand this, okay? Uh, there's, I, 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 I want to mention them right now, but I will not. I will not. Uh, but immediately, what I want you to at least see is immediately we can see that the remind. well, I, I want to call it a reminder, but it is a reminder, God is reminding them of what He remembers. And He remembers a certain time in their relationship that was a great one. It was a great time. And it completely, something happened because now God is saying, hey guys, all of you, North and South, what changed? I mean, what's the exact wording of the question? What happened? What happened? What did you find wrong inside of me that makes you no longer what? Well, go through the, uh, the things. You're, you're no longer kind? Well, I'm just going back to the, the previous things. You're no longer kind. You're no longer love me. You're no longer following me. You're no longer holy. You're no longer uh, uh, being after the first fruits. And clearly the protection is gone. Immediately, that, there, there's a change there, right? And that change... Is, is, is the key to the rest of it. But we'll, have, we'll stop right there, and then I don't know how we're going to start the next hour, but we'll figure that out, all right? So let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this morning. We thank you for uh, this, at times, very difficult book. But Lord, I pray that at least for this first hour, we'll stop and consider the past phases of our Christian life and where we are presently. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said,